Welcome to the Move the Stairs podcast by the Denver-based public relations strategist at MNC Communications. We help clients from the CBD industry to nonprofits and beyond tackle their toughest communications challenges and protect their brand using our state-of-the-art tools and strategies. I'm president and founder, Diane Mulligan. For us, public relations is all about brand protection. We are experts in growing active communities, deflecting negative public relations, and building trust to help our clients stand head and shoulders above competitors. I'm Vice President Sarah Beatty. We're all former journalists. We've been in front of the camera and behind the scenes. We call our experience insider media relations, helping clients turn crisis communications and media relations challenges into opportunities that bolster the bottom line. And I'm PR manager Jordan Sherman. At MNC, we craft distinctive and effective solutions for your communications challenges. We call it our Move the Stairs philosophy. On this podcast, we share our best ideas for brand protection, crisis communications, media relations, and more. Let's get right to it. This week's Move the Stairs podcast. Like we do every week, we work through four topics. Um, In the first 15 minutes, we're going to talk about um, what should I do during this time? What, What happens if I do nothing? Uh, At 15 minutes, we're going to talk about the best advice that we found from communication experts on what is and isn't appropriate. At 30 minutes, we're going to talk about walking the walk, right? Not just talking the talk. And looking inside your own organization um, to make sure that everything is aligned the way it really ought to be. Um, And to round out the hour, we're going to be talking about doing your own work personally. Um, to, to make sure that you are authentic when you are talking the talk. So by the end of this, you're going to have a really good example and a great understanding of why this topic matters, why it's so important, where your business and your brand stands on this topic, and you'll have some examples of best practices of some other top brands who have done this really, really well. So if you're joining us on Facebook, please jump into the conversation. We're looking forward to your comments. If you're um, watching this later, just send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear your questions, hear your comments, discussion points. If we don't get to answer, we'll answer you immediately. But we'll also talk about that next week in the Move the Stairs chat. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Michelle Hanna, who is a dear friend of mine. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thanks. Tell us a little bit about you. Um, So uh, I am Michelle Hanna. I'm on faculty at the Graduate School of Social Work. I've been there since uh, a long time. (laughs) (laughs) None of us already go into that part, Michelle. Yeah, I've been there a while. Um, My area of expertise, as far as my research is concerned, is primarily in child welfare, um, foster and adoptive parents, children, anything related to child welfare. However, I also, um, I teach and oversee our child welfare concentration. I also um, oversee two huge grants that we have to improve the um, workforce uh, in integrated behavioral health and uh, substance use um, workforce, substance use prevention, treatment, and recovery. I always forget my little trio. So I kind of have my, my feet in both of those. Um, but I also teach several of our classes that are related to cultural competency and cultural humility. I've developed and taught several of those classes over the last, oh, I'd say six, seven years, maybe longer. Um, and so I do that and I've done training in that area for quite a long time. Well, Michelle, we're so glad to have your expertise on this discussion today. Um, You probably know this, but we try to move the stairs, which means that we look at a situation. What are the parameters surrounding that situation? And instead of saying, if only, or, oh, God, if this was different, try to be as creative as possible within what we're given. And that's called moving the stairs. Um, And it comes very quickly from a situation I was in where we were covering a politician and I needed to get that interview first right after he did his acceptance speech and the stairs led to my competition. So I went to the podium, 
I unhooked the stairs, I moved him to the other side of the podium, and lo and behold, he walked straight to my table for the interview, which was great. So we moved the stairs. In life, um, we try to move the stairs, and at MNC, that's really important. And we're trying to do that a little bit today. And Michelle and I know each other from, um, from working with a nonprofit um, on child welfare, but one of the reasons I really wanted you to talk to today, Michelle, is because you and I spent days, <laughs> weeks, I don't remember how many, in a car together, traveling <laughs> the United States, interviewing people. We actually ended up next to Davy Crockett's homestead, I remember. It was crazy. But one of our big things that we talked about was race. And it was one of the most enlightening and fascinating times for me, hearing your perspective. And I think also it was great for you, if I can speak for you for a minute, to, to have this kind of a conversation with me as well. Um, and so that, that informed me somewhat. Um, but I still have a long way to go. Um, and I think a lot of us over the past couple weeks have realized how far we still have to go. So... Let's start with talking about um, not saying anything. Um, when you don't say anything, um, what are you really saying? Uh, and I think that, um, you know, I was watching an interview with Robin DiAngelo, who was the writer of White Fragility, um, and, and talking about that there's a status quo. Um, and the status quo is institutional racism. It does not mean that we're bad people. It means that we were raised a certain way with certain ideas and that if you don't say anything, then that, that kind of means that you're still in that same place. Would, talk to us a little bit about that. What do you think about that? Well, my first reaction is if you don't say anything, you're saying everything. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, and, and if you see something and you see something going on and you're aware and you're, you're paying attention and you care about these things and you're interested in making change, to be silent and to not say anything is to perpetuate it. It's to continue it. Um, a lot of times people don't say anything out of fear of saying the wrong thing. Yeah, and exactly. um, I feel like there is definitely a wrong thing. I'm not going to say that there isn't, but the majority of the people who are thinking about it are not going to say the wrong thing because they're thinking about it. So, so you know, it's usually the ones who say the wrong thing are the ones that that are, um, you know, they're they're not thinking about it. They really don't. It, it's not important to them. It, they really don't buy into uh, the need to address these issues. Um, another thing you were talking about our conversations, you know, one of the big things, and, and I've heard Robin D'Angelo speak, and I've, I've, I've read her book, and I use part of it in my classes, um, but one of the big things that, that she talks about is we have to be ready to talk about this. We have to have these conversations, and if you're not willing to enter into the conversation, then, then you're not, you're not, and you're not open to having that conversation. And that means putting down your defenses. Uh, that means hearing, listening, uh, and being able to have direct conversation about what is and is not going on, and then being able to take that and adjust and adapt. Um, and so if you're not willing to open your mouth and speak, <laughs> then yeah, you're definitely perpetuating what is going on. I, I'd like to jump in here really quickly. Um, and I'm thinking of an old adage, which is, you know, a closed mouth gathers no feet. So <laughs> I'm wondering about the difference between silence in the face of um, an injustice, where you're not speaking out about something that's happening right in front of you, versus the silence of saying, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about this, I don't understand fully my thought process or your experience in this and I'm processing. Is there a difference in silence, do you think? That's an interesting question. I mean, so initially when you said that, the first thought I had was there is speaking out when you're, you know, I think about the George Floyd incident um, 
you know, they're speaking out when you see it. So I think about the young lady who took the video, she was speaking out as she mm -hmm. saw it. And then you think about the silence of the officers who didn't do anything. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing, you know, when it's happening, it's right there in front of you. Um, and then there's the, the when that's not. So when you're in a room where you don't actually see it, but there's a discussion about it or something's going on, do you or do you not speak up? So um, we talk a lot about being an ally. And, and in my mind, you have being an ally, it costs you something. You have to be willing to speak up when you see it, but you also have to be willing to speak up when there's no one in the room to see you speaking up or to see it. So that was the first thought that I had. The other piece, what you said is, you know, um, you're contemplating, you're thinking whether or not I should do this or that. It goes back to whether or not it's the right or wrong thing. I mean, I, I think we should all think before we open our mouths. I mean, I think my mother taught me that. <laughs> I mean, most of us, we, we have a contemplation, but, but you also don't wanna be in this case where you are contemplating for so long that you, it becomes inaction. It becomes, mm -hmm. you become um, frozen for lack of a better term, but you don't, you do nothing. Uh, so you have to be able to contemplate a little faster <laughs> and process a little faster um, and not allow that to be the excuse. Because if, depending on the situation, depending on who's there, if you're, if you say something and it's not, 100% correct or it's error, someone should help, that should open the door for others to help you make those adjustments, if you understand what I'm saying. Sure. And, and you're not, um, we have to be willing to make mistakes. This work, this ability to become culturally competent, to have cultural humility, to be able to be responsive to what is going on around us comes with practice. It's just like anything else. You have to practice, you make mistakes, you learn from your mistakes. And, and, and that's how you get better at it. So it's not, what I'm seeing for businesses right now is that it's Black Lives Matter, um, but we've also been through this with Me Too. And, and for the women that are watching us, you know, that is my more comfortable place mm -hmm. because I understand that perspective, Michelle. Is that, fair to kind of pull on that experience um, and say, this isn't certainly not walking in the shoes of a black person, but the prejudice is, is somewhat analogous. Is that fair? Well, if, it, if that's what it, so again, if that's what it takes to help you come to the table, that's fine. But then you have to move past that. Right. So, right. so it's like, it's empathy, right? It's being yes. able to have empathy with what is going on around you. Um, but then you have to move past that. And I think sometimes the error that I see is, is uh, I've done a lot of training over to my years with cultural competency training, working with African-American uh, families, individuals, uh, working, you know, racial um, injustice work. And inevitably you'll have a white woman who says well i know how it feels like because i'm a white woman and that would be an idea uh, er, uh um that would be an error example yeah. of not the right thing <laughs> because yeah. you want to think that through um you have empathy you can can you can you can connect on that level but you don't know what it feels you like. you don't get yes yeah and Absolutely. so it's kind of like you know that 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 experience can help you have empathy and it can help you to ask questions and can help you to grow, but don't hold on to that experience and hold it up as the, this is what you do understand what I'm saying. This is yes. why. Mm -hmm. this uh, is why. Right. But if it can help you move forward so that you can be more open-minded then maybe mm -hmm. that's a pathway. Just right. It can be a pathway right to growth for sure, okay. but it, you have to, you have to move, you have to move past that. Great, great. Now, Jordan, we're also talking about the culture changing with masks. It's kind of a hard turn, but at the same time, business owners, <laughs> bless their hearts, are dealing with all of these things. So talk to us a little bit about what we've learned there, because with the mandate yesterday, um, business owners are going to have to deal with this 
in their places of business, whether people feel that they're being imposed upon, imposed upon that they have to wear it, imposed upon that they keep wearing it. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, it can be really confusing because MNC, we're located here in Colorado. So yesterday, um, if you watched the news, I'm sure you saw the Governor Polis did issue that statewide uh, mask order. So if you're inside and you're 11 years or older, you have to wear a mask. Uh, there are some exceptions for that, but many states are still kind of relying on um, city, town, countywide um, to, to make those decisions. So first of all, you have that confusion. But if you are in a state that has that and is enforcing um, that mask wearing order and you're a business owner, you have to decide how are you going to enforce um, wearing those masks? Uh, is it going to be a zero tolerance policy? Are you going to have a, a three strike and you're out kind of policy between your guests um, and your customers? And how are you going to enforce that policy so that it's literally crystal clear, there is no questions asked that if you step into this establishment, you're expected to wear a mask. Now, I think a really interesting point here is some of the exceptions to this rule. And it's gonna be different no matter where you live, but here in Colorado, uh, there was a case down here in Colorado Springs where a disabled veteran, he was injured in combat, could not wear a face mask and he had been kicked out of a couple of different places um, in Colorado Springs and that made national headlines because he physically couldn't wear it. So I think it's part one is having that policy in place and part two is having the training for your management and employees to uh, look into those issues if somebody says I cannot physically wear a mask because it could hurt me in some way. Again, it's one of those things where you don't want to be silent. You have to mm -hmm. know what you're going to say. Right. You have to know where you're going. And that's really what we're, what we're talking about in this session. So Sarah, take us next. Well, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, there are so many um, very challenging issues that we're working through right now. And I think mm -hmm. what we're seeing in general is that anxiety is high. Um, tempers yeah. are short. Um, people are feeling very um, maybe open about their um, po political opinions or where they're coming from, and they really feel a need to to um, you know make sure that other people know what those what those might be. So, you know, Michelle, when we were when we um, talked about it internally, we talked about the idea of being careful not to create a bandwagon moment, um, to be careful not to inauthentically um, say, you know what, uh, I support this or I support or I don't support that, um, you know, to just sort of jump on that bandwagon. Um, from, a, from a public relations standpoint, how important do you think it is, like we saw in June, the Blackout Tuesday, where people, you know, thousands of people all over the country posted a black square on their social media to say, I support Black Lives Matter, which is really inspiring in one sense, but I wonder if that's maybe evidence of, of that kind of bandwagon effect that, um, you know, doesn't ring true. What do you think? Well, y'all are asking tough questions. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've, I've had this conversation a lot with, with a couple of my colleagues and, and I have different thoughts. Um, you know, the question is, you know, how much of the protesting is because it's the trendy thing to do? Um, how much of it is actually because people believe in the need to, for change? Um, and I, I, I'm definitely not a, a bandwagon person, um, but I do think the more people that we have that support these things, the more people, you know, there's critical mass, there's, there's power in numbers. And so uh, as a person who may be benefiting from, from some of this, this um, um, behavior, there's a part of me that says, yes, get on the bandwagon because then it's out there and it's, you know, we're loud and we're proud and we're going to make this happen. Uh, and I have to hope that people are not doing it in a contradiction to something that they innately 
believe. I feel like there's got to be some reason why they get on that bandwagon. I mean, like I said, I'm, there's a whole lot of things that I'm not one of those people. I mean, I tend to not be that person, but, but I'm not going to put something on my Facebook or whatever if I don't have some connection to it or don't have some belief. So a part of me thinks if that's your step, if that's your first step, then go for it because then I have hope that you're going to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And it really is truly something that is just because of peer pressure or are wanting to somehow be a part of what's trendy, you'll fall off. Um, or, or you get in there and you start listening and you start hearing and you start learning and it becomes more than just because everybody else is doing it. Um, so again, it's a hard question to answer, right? Um, I don't want anyone to put up something that they don't believe in. But at the same time, I feel like if you're going to put it there, there's some reason why you're doing it. And I would hope that if, if you know, if, if even if it's you're doing it because this is your first step or because this is, you know, you're the organizer, the more that we have out there, the better it is. Does that Yeah. Answer? Well, I'm thinking of a conversation that I had with my girlfriend last week. Um, she works for King County in um, Seattle. Um, and I've known her for 20 years. She's African-American working for the, for the county on um, inclusion issues. And mm -hmm. she went to her supervisor and said, um, you know, we and some of the other members of your staff here would really like to hear from you. We'd, we'd really like to hear your, um, if not your support, at least what your thought process is on, um, you know, how we are working toward diversity, working toward equity, working toward, um, you know, better outcomes for, for the citizens of King County. And she said that, that he, um, he did eventually. I mean, he, did, he had to go away and think about it for a while, but he came back and said, well, this is my thought process and I'm looking for input. So from a, from a again, from a PR, business PR perspective, um, I, that's what comes up in my head is, does it have to ring true? If, if a business goes out and says Black Lives Matter and there isn't a person of color anywhere in that business or they don't interact with people of color, or they don't, you know what I mean? Like, is there a false note there? Um, no, I don't think it's false if they mean it. I think it's a matter of, okay, now you've, you've put this out there. Are you acknowledging that? Are you acknowledging what's going on? And what are you doing about possibly changing that? So, um, you know, if you're saying, you know, I'm realizing Black Lives Matter and I'm ready to go and look at my business. And, you know, I think you said something about this earlier, Diane, uh, and do an examination and figure out what is it, what is going on in our business that that is the reason why we are an all white corporation, right. organization, or whatever. And are there things that we can do to make those changes? So it's like you're saying Black Lives Matter, and you're saying, you're publicly and very transparently saying, you know, I'm looking at ourselves, I realize what I've got. We realize that this is something we need to support, and this is the evidence of how we're gonna support it. So it's like that. different if you said Black Lives Matter and, somebody says, well, your business is, you know, you have no diversity and you say, well, yeah, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of put your money where your mouth is. Absolutely. <laughs> so how yeah. do I, how do I now, but being, I think transparency and humility are key. You know, you have to come out and say this, these are the things we're going to do. And it's not that you're gonna just go grab the next black person on the street and hire them, but you're gonna literally look at your um, practices. You're gonna look at why is it that, you know, what are the biases? What are the implicit biases that are at play? What are the, what is our marketing, is our um, advertising for business, for, for um, employees, is, is there something about it that we're not welcoming that we're not opening what do we need to do and you start Absolutely. to make a plan yep and i think that leads really well into we on this we have a one sheet a downloadable one sheet 
um, that you can get by going to mnccommunications.com. Um, it's going to have an interview with um, Robin D'Angelo on it that was recently done by um, one of her dear friends who runs the Mercer Island Group, um, which is when I saw that, that's when I thought, geez, Louise, I have the best lady in the world and she's a friend of mine. I'm going to interview her. What a fun idea that is. Um, and also it has this report on it, which is the Leeds School of Business at Team Boulder um, has a great report on Black Lives Matter responses, Black Lives Matter responses um, by some really large companies and corporations. And they've broken down um, things that you can do. So sometimes I think it's how do we say what we want to say? And um, one of the things that, that I really learned and really looking at all of this is if you take action, then you can talk about your action. And that's a smart way to not put your feet in the ground um, and to really talk about that we're doing something. So the first one that they have is invest in action. So look for causes, organizations that you can support financially. And then you talk about that and you encourage others whether it's your employees, whether it's your customers, whether it's your clients, your colleagues, support as well. The second one is to ritualize commitments. That's a long way of saying, I hate those, that term perfectly. But anyway, what they're basically saying is, is it just now? How are you going to incorporate this long-term into your strategy for what you're going to do for your business? Ben and Jerry came out um, in support of Black Lives Matter four years ago. And they have been talking about it for four years. That is a ritualized commitment. What's something that's much long term? So think about what is that going to be? And how are you going to continue to message about that and to let people know that this is where you're putting your support? Um, that you outline your internal policies. So really showcase what you've changed at your company. And to go back to you, Michelle, and what you said about the humility, um, I do like that whole idea of. Don't know what I don't know, but now that I'm learning, I'm going to change. I really like that, and that that, that gives us. A, I think that takes some of our defensiveness away as Caucasians, as whites, that we don't know, and and we're learning constantly. And for some of us, this is a, a much deeper learning curve right now than it's been for a very long time. Um, to reevaluate your brand. And during the height of cultural change moments, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's the Two movement, um, that you look at what your advertising or your promotion or your marketing is, and is it time to suspend that? Is it still appropriate to be out there with whatever happy-go-lucky message that you had? Um, do you want to pull that first? Because it's not the right time. Um, and then, want to consider what is it that you do want to say. So you want to think about that and that's where you really fix and you retool your products. Um, and is there something that you can do with your product or your service that would make it more inclusive? So thinking about that, I think is really, really important. Sarah, take us on to our next topic. Well, just a quick um, chat about next week. Um, and, and we talked about this a minute ago. So the, the new mask mandate. Um, and this mask controversy has been brewing for um, weeks or even a couple of months. And so next week, we're going to do a deep dive into this mask wearing controversy. And now that it's a mandate, how should you be communicating to um, your employees, your customers, um, people that you may interact with in your place of business? And how do you, um, we always say, you know, a nice, nice ask is, is better than a, a snarky demand. Um, you know, how do you encourage uh, compliance and, you know, what do you do um, if you just have somebody who's flat not going to do it? You know, what, so thinking through all... Or you have that altercation, right? That altercation. Yeah, good heavens. Which we're now mm. seeing, unfortunately, every night on the nightly news. So what do you do in that scenario so that you de-escalate that situation? Right. So Jordan, now we're going to look inside the business, right? Yeah, we have to look at, you know, one of the things to acknowledge this and move forward is looking at how you're building diversity in your own team. So we found this quote from Robin Bowl. It's very thought-provoking. I apologize. That's my fault. It's Robin D'Angelo, and I didn't fix that in my, in this 
part of oh. the script, Jordan. So that's not you. That's on me. That that's okay. <laughs> so the quote, however, still rings true, and that is. If your management isn't diverse, the question is, how did it happen? So how did it happen? You know, what is it that's keeping you from having a more diverse team? And Diane, I think, you know, we can look internally at this. It's a question that we have asked ourselves in the past and, I, and all three of us have actually discussed because we have three full-time people and we're all Caucasians. However, we have that in our expansion plan to expand the MNC diversity. Right. And I think it's, it's one of those things where if you can expand that diversity and you can get that experience in the background of your team, uh, it, it's only going to serve you better moving into the future, especially as where you're looking at things are in 2020. There's a really cool racial equality toolkit, and that was put out um, by the Government Alliance on Racial Equality that we just learned about and Diane, you checked it out last night and it's a really good resource and I ask some really insightful questions on, you know, what are you doing to develop or becoming involved to address inequality um, within your own company or also bringing that diversity into your company. So it's a really fascinating discussion. And I think 2020 has really given us a good opportunity to dive deeper into that especially with companies and I think in some respect government too, um, at what we can do to become more diverse. So Michelle, my question to you is a question that I've had for years and I think so many business owners have is, yes, you're reaching out, but when it comes down to deciding who's going to get the job, um, how do you weigh the diversity issue versus um, who's best qualified. Now, the diverse person may be best qualified and you don't have to make that decision. But in, in 2020 and where we are right now, how do you answer that? What, what, what guidance can you give us? So, first of all, let me just say, so it, it's interesting, right? Um, you have your, your minimum qualifications. You say, here's what you need to make this job. Um, to meet to do this job. Um, I have a, a, a colleague who says, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily the um, Sometimes you make the right decision versus what someone else may think is quote unquote a different decision. I don't want to use the word best because that's that's not good. Um, if they meet the qualifications and if they are um, if they can do the job, then the question is why not hire them if you have within your strategic plans and your goals to diversify your, your company. Um, it's not to say that, that you, again, you don't hire just because they represent a marginalized group or an underrepresented group. Um, and I very, I very, um, I don't particularly care for the term diverse persons because we are all diverse persons. Absolutely. So you, the language is important. Um, but when, you, um, when you're looking at it, unless there's the reason why you wouldn't hire them, why would you not? Um, you know, a lot of times the excuse you'll hear is, well, we, we had better qualified candidates. Well, why do you have a better qualified candidate? As, as Jordan was saying, you know, why is this? Well, you may have a better qualified candidate because that qualified candidate had access to better education, they had access to more opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So is there a reason why you would not um, um, give this person a, an opportunity? You know what I'm saying? Um, and and then what is this? What is the reason why you think this person is better qualified? Um, you know, is it because they have six months more experience? <laughs> I mean, what is, what, is, what is your rationale? And is that rationale really okay? Because as we all know, when it comes down to those final two candidates, sometimes it's better fit. It has nothing to do with, right. with some of those, those metrics that are very tangible, right? And if you're saying that you're a company that is committed to diversifying, then at that point in time, the better fit is a candidate who's coming from a diverse, who's going to help you meet that goal. 
right? Because right. that's part of what you're looking at. Is that so? Unless so, again, not giving not giving someone a job that 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 they're not qualified for, but recognizing um, why is it that this one candidate has this advantage over the other? And it's about equity, not necessarily equal. It's about being equitable. And when you have this opportunity, are you able to um, maybe, you know, help level, level that playing field, basically? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we work with a number of um, companies. Um, and for one in particular, um, the Lung Cancer Foundation of America. Sarah, do you want to talk about the Speakers Bureau and how intentional um, we were as to making sure that we had people of color, not diverse people, in uh, in the uh, in the Speakers Bureau. Yeah, well, I, I think um, you're absolutely right about that, and I think what the function of it is the outcome of um, making sure that there's a number of diverse experiences and viewpoints, because um, what we were able to do, you know, is really. Um, show that lung cancer is a um, problem that affects everyone. It is, you know, it doesn't discriminate. It affects young women. It affects um, people of color. It affects um, everyone. And what it allows uh, us to be able to do is talk to some of the audiences, connect with some of the audiences who may be affected by it in a really authentic way. And I'm thinking we've got two Spanish-speaking uh, members, fluent Spanish speakers of the Speakers Bureau, one whose family is Puerto Rican. And so she has a slightly different, um, very slightly different version of Spanish, but you know, speaks authentically to um, that audience. Whereas we have another member who is of Mexican descent. And so she's got, you know, again, that very slightly different, it's kind of like a, you know, a Southern dialect versus a, a you know, Northern dialect of, um, of a Spanish. So it really helps um, make sure that we are connecting and outreaching authentically to lots of different audiences and making sure that the message about, you know, lung cancer affects everyone is authentic because we can show you, look, you know, we can, we can um, you know, demonstrate very clearly that it affects everyone and then we can communicate to those groups authentically. Um, and I think that, so that's just a function then of, um, I think one of the important reasons that, that um, you know, diversity, diverse viewpoints, diverse backgrounds, diverse experience is so critical, especially when you're looking at something like a public relations campaign you know, you've got to be able to speak that language, I think. And it's more than just ticking off the boxes. And, and Michelle, do you want to talk a little bit about that? That it, this is, to me, this is an intentionality. Um, I'm, everyone that's in my group is a former television news person because of the experience and the way they think. And so that's an intentional thing because there are tons of PR people out there who are very good, um, right? So. Um, when it comes to race, it's also an intentionality issue. Would you agree with that? Yes, I, I'm, and I'm glad you said that. I think it is important. It's, this is an intentional, intentional con, um, uh, conscious choice that you make, along with every other intentional conscious choice you make related to your company, right? And so, you know, diversity does not just benefit the persons who who are of these different backgrounds, right? It, it benefits all of us. I mean, if, you know, we, you, if your company is made up of people just like you, <laughs> why do you need them? You right. want, you want- Mate, Jordan is nothing like me. I just want to <laughs> nothing. But just like you want, you know, and, and, and um, what Sarah was saying, you want diversity of thought. You want diversity of, of of ideas, you know, and I would think for marketing in particular and PR work, I mean, every racial group is made up of diverse persons within their own group. Right. And every, every time, every um, possible social issue, social problem, I, I think there's very few things that you would be putting out there where it's not impacting people from every race, every walk of life. So why would you not want people on your team 
who are going to be able to speak to how you might be able to meet those needs, speak their language, you know, whether that's literal or figuratively, but how are you able to be able to communicate with those who are from these diverse groups? And if you don't have someone, if you don't have those voices present in the room, if you don't have those voices at the table, you're, you're going to miss the mark because you're not going to have someone there to tell you whether or not it's going to be effective or may be effective. They may not know 100%, but they're going to have better idea than, than you might if you have absolutely no... Um, well, it's also going to protect right. your brand, right? I mean, Jordan, talk a little bit about brand protection and how you think this would impact it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the more ideas you can have out there, and, you know, Michelle, as you pointed out, the more voices and the more unique voices that you can have sitting at the table um, to be making sure and be forward thinking about things that may impact your, your business, your brand in the future, um, that's inevitably going to help your company. So I, I think that we can look at this conversation of how things have changed in 2020 as a whole, not only to better ourselves socially, but also look internally at our business and brands to make sure we're making those um, conscious and thoughtful decisions. Because it's not only is, hey, this is where we are and where we need to be, but also in the long run, this is going to better your company and further your company or further your brand. Absolutely. And, and keep you from making those huge mistakes that we see right. i swear every week on tv where you think did no one look at this ad did no i mean did they not think of the impact this was going to have on this specific group if they when they wrote this how did mm -hmm. that happen so i find that to be very very interesting so um finally let's go into your inter internal work um i remember michelle our conversation about white privilege in the car. I don't know if you remember it, um, but defensive is the understatement for how I got. Um, because I'm like, I did not come from a wealthy family. I worked three jobs and put myself through college and, and immediately I went there. Um, and it was fascinating to hear you explain to me what that term really meant and give me some explanations about it so that I could dial back a bit. Um, Jennifer Long, who is an employment attorney and a discrimination complaint investigator, had this quote, which I talked a little bit about last week in our chat. Um, she was interviewed on the Build a Better Agency podcast, and she says, the tool you need is humility. Let your defense is down. You can say that was the perspective I had before. It's not the perspective I have now. Here's what I'm going to do now with my new perspective. I think that's, it, it gives us, gives white people a little bit of room to say, okay, um, not about being a good person, about what I didn't know that I didn't know. Well, yeah, I, I mean, oh, go ahead. Go, well, go ahead, please. I, I was just gonna follow up um, along, along that line of, um, I did, I, I went to a, a, an allyship workshop and I walked in thinking, you know, I'm a good person. And so I, I, I think I can probably figure this out on my own, but maybe I should go to this and, and, you know, and see. And I was really surprised by, um, you know, your good intentionality um, doesn't, you know, it sort of takes you so far. And you know, I think that it's it's really powerful to sit and be open to that, to to input and to um, you know looking at it from a different point of view. Um, so I think you know, in just a slightly different way than than Diane was talking about in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, Where Michelle was beating me up in the car, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it had nothing to do with driving across the railroad track. You there know. would be that, yes. There, there were those moments, too. She told me <laughs> to the locomotive step on it. Car, but we had to get there. So anyway. <laughs> um, I, I think so. So so I will speak to just saying that, you know, Diane, you were talking earlier about knowing what you, um, not knowing what you don't know, right? Um, so there's there's cultural comp competency and there's cultural humility and there's a, um, um, 
person who's coined the term cultural compatibility, which is a really hard word to learn how to wow. say. Wow. <laughs> but it's bringing the two together. And so cultural competence is about knowledge. It's about what do you need to know about these different groups? What do you need to, um, what do you need, the knowledge that you need, you know? Um, and then cultural humility is about no, um, about being able to recognize that you don't know everything and you will never know everything. Right. You can never, none of us can ever be an expert on someone else's culture. Uh, so we have to recognize that. And, you know, you want to be able to um, have that humility to say, to, to learn and to grow and to, and to say, teach me and allow others to be the expert and, and, and not, not put them in a position, it's very fine line, not put them in the position of having to teach you to where you don't have to do any of the work, but being able to hear what they're saying when they tell you, here's what I know, here's my experience and being able to listen to that. Um, and so it's really important that when you enter into these spaces that you're open to that. You can come in with some knowledge, but then you have to recognize that that knowledge you have may or may not be fitting to that person who's sitting in front of you right then and right there. Because we all, again, we all have these intersecting identities. You know, everybody that is uh, African-American is not the same. Everybody who is Latinx is not the same. Everybody who is white is not the same. And right so true. we have to recognize that we have some knowledge. We go into this, these, these spaces with this knowledge and then we allow um, these others, these people who are different from us to help fill in some of those gaps and give us more about who they are and, and what they know. And if they're doing their part, they're gonna tell you, you know, I can't represent my whole group. I cannot sit here and speak for all African-Americans. I can tell you my experience and I can tell you what maybe my friends and my family, but, but know that there are other experiences out there that may be different from mine and don't expect my experience to be their experience. And so it's definitely an ongoing intentional work. And you have to be, it's the, the cultural humility piece of this is how do you come to the table? Do you come to the table as with an openness, with a willingness to learn, a willingness to be told that you might be wrong <laughs> and that you might need to correct some things? I'm not really good with that part. I'm still working <laughs> on that part. You know, and maybe you do have to go away and think about it in a minute, but, but being willing to hear that versus coming at it as, you know, well, I've read all these books and I know all of this and I'm done, you know? <laughs> so, so those are, so it's really combining the two and being able to gather the knowledge, but also recognize that in the moment, in that minute moment in time, you have to be open and hear what, what people are telling I think you. That's the best advice I've heard of all the stuff that I've read and I've listened to. Because I, it does, <laughs> you know, you look at the New York Times bestseller list right now, and I think it's the, the top five books are all on this cultural competency discussion, right? And mm -hmm. how many people will read the books and will then feel like they've done their work and they're done? Um, right. And the reality is, while it's a cultural discussion, I, you may remember us talking about adoptive families and your, your um, impression of adoptive families, uh, interviewed the adoptive families who have these children that have such serious mental health issues and what they go through and how invested they are in, in the kids. Um, I just think that judging is something that has become so commonplace in our society right now that um, if we can all step back a little bit and say we don't know what we don't know that's true yeah. and we're going to try and be better and diane i just want to say that is such a great example for those that don't know i have i have years of experience as an adoption social worker i am now an adoptive parent i don't even know if you know that diane uh, <laughs> i didn't I know that Congratulations. I I'm an adoptive parent. I adult, adopted a 38-year-old child, um, but he's a kiddo that's been in our life for many years. But at the time we were doing our 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 work, um, I'm I'm not been an adoptive parent, and even with the experience that I have, I know that it is not the same. And so when I talk about and 
adoption and adoptive families and what have you, I'm coming at it from the perspective of a worker. I'm coming at it from the perspective of someone who has been on that side of the, 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 the fence. And so the fact that when we went out and did our work together, and I tell people this all the time, it was great because you sat there as the adoptive parent. And while, you, again, you can't tell me every adoptive parent's experience, you gave me insight when I would hear things that they would not, they would not fit my paradigm of what I thought adoptive parents and adoptive parenting was. And I could hear you give me insight into that because you are the expert more so than I am because you've been there, you've done that, you live that day in and day out. I have not. So I have to be humble enough to allow you to teach me. You know, and, and yeah, and you and I are very much alike. I don't like to be wrong either, but, <laughs> but I have to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. And then I adapt my behavior based on this ongoing, ever, ever going lifelong learning process. You know, I've been thinking since I've been looking at all of this great content and the links and all of that again is in that downloadable. Um, you know, it's ringing in my head as my aunt has said this for years. She's like, you have to get out of judgment and into curiosity. There you go. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? I think, I think that's just a great place to start. Get out of judgment and into curiosity. But Jordan, the other thing that has been ringing in my head as we've been talking is um, this continued use of some of the words that, that you have worked into um, you know, the Four C's documents, some other things that we have, but one of those is empathy. And I, I think that, that just some of the same words keep popping up, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we have seen that, you know, really throughout a lot of our discussions in 2020, you know, being empathetic toward your fellow human, because we're all in a pretty rough spot right now. And, you know, while the can of worms that uh, COVID has, has opened up for us here has given us an opportunity to respect one another through that, but uh, in addition to it, the Black Lives Matter movement too. Um, in order to learn, we have to be, um, we have to be empathetic. Um, we have to have humility and we have to be willing to continually learn and continually grow. Uh, and I think that's so important because no big change happens overnight. So we're going to continue to learn more about this. We have to continue to be open to learn more about it too. And if you're a business owner watching this video, I think those are some great first steps that you can take um, to continue this conversation in a really thoughtful way. Absolutely. So Dr. Michelle Hanna, Michelle, my friend, thank <laughs> you for taking the time today because I do think you bring such a beautiful perspective. What I remember most is our great discussions. It didn't matter, we were on two different sides. That's the important thing. So I want you guys to go and download um, the, uh, the one sheet that we put together where we're gonna go over how no messaging is a message, um, how to respond appropriately, and actually give you examples of what different people did. Uh, suggestions for how to increase diversity in your workplace and to be more intentional, and then some things on self-reflection. Um, listening to people who, are, who have different points of view, being empathetic, having that humility, and being open to it. And we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. So have a wonderful rest of your Friday.